Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading in the book of Philippians as we continue through the series, Complete Joy. You may be seated. We pray. Mighty Father, we give you great thanks for the mercies you shower upon us, that you have made us a part of the body of Christ. And Lord, now we pray that you would grant us brothers and sisters in the faith who continue to point us towards you and keep our faith strong in all that we face in this world. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. In the Christian classic, The Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan tells us the metaphorical story of a man named Christian who is called out of a place known as the City of Destruction by a man named Evangelist. An evangelist shows Christian the way to a new home, a safe home, a place called the Celestial City. If you've ever read Bunyan's book, you know that it is uh, us following the account of Christian as he makes his way from one city to the other. And as we follow Christian on this journey, we find that he has not entered into an easy, comfortable path, but it is a difficult road that he walks to get to the celestial city. He comes into all kinds of trials and troubles, temptations and sins. At one point, we find him falling into the sloth of despond, or we might translate that the swamp of despair. But as he is drowning there in despair, along comes a man named Help to assist Christian out of the despair. Later on, there comes to him a man named Worldly Wise Man. You will notice that the metaphors in this book are not very subtle, okay? <laughs> worldly Wise Man comes along, and, and he offers Christian an easier path, a path that will take him to a far more comfortable way of life, a wider road that's much easier to walk. But to save Christian from this, along comes another man named Goodwill, and Goodwill rescues Christian. You kind of get the idea of where this is going. As Christian makes his way to the celestial city, at every turn, he is met by temptation, sin, and trial. And yet, every time he comes across one of these sins or temptations or trials, there is a companion given to him to help him through now, again, as far as metaphorical stories go, Bunyan isn't very subtle. It's very clear who the good guys and the bad guys are in this one. And yet, this is one of the best-selling books of all time. And I think that's because, despite the cheap metaphor work here, Bunyan does a marvelous job of capturing for us what the Christian life is actually like. It's, once you are saved, it is not an easy path with no more sin or trial or temptation, but no, you now have on your back the target that the devil fires his fiery darts at all the time. The world is constantly trying to entice you away from your faith, and the old sinful flesh is so attracted by all of these things. The Christian will inevitably face sin, death, and the trials, uh, sin, death, and the devil, temptation, trials, difficulty. We cannot avoid these things in our lives. And yet, because God is so gracious to us and because he is so merciful, he doesn't leave us alone on this journey. But he always sends others, brothers and sisters, to come alongside of us, friends in the faith, to help us 
as we make our way to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Today, as we come to our reading from Philippians, I believe Paul is going to be offering himself to us as one of these friends along the way, a support system to encourage us as we face the trials in front of us. Paul, as I've probably said to you uh, way too many times by this point in this sermon series, is in jail. Have we mentioned that yet? Uh, Paul is writing this letter from jail, and he knows what it means to feel isolated and alone in his faith. It's why he is so encouraged when he gets visits from his friends, like people we read about earlier in the book of Philippians, Timothy and Epaphroditus. These guys show up and they pray with him, they, they probably weep with him, they encourage him, they tell him the good news of what's going on with his other friends, the, the congregation in Philippi, how those people continue to endure in the faith, and this is, this is nothing but pure joy for Paul, completes his joy to hear these things going on, to be encouraged by these brothers in the faith. It's wonderful for him. And yet Paul knows that if he's experiencing such trials and difficulties on his own, if he needs this kind of encouragement, most certainly the church in Philippi is going to need the same kind of encouragement because they also are enduring troubles. Uh, they're also enduring trials of various kinds. And so Paul today is going to talk to them about how he wants to give himself to them as an example of how to endure these trials. And we'll talk more about what that means here in a little bit. But Paul is going to present himself to us today as a friend along the journey, someone who will support us and help us as we make our way to that celestial city, towards that resurrection of the dead. Now, he is going to use journey language here today, and so we do need to be very clear about something. When we talk about the Christian's journey to the resurrection of the dead, as we talk about our path towards heaven, we need to be very clear that what we're not talking about today is a journey we must walk if we want to be saved. Rather, what we're talking about is the journey that people who are saved will inevitably walk. If you belong to Christ Jesus, and make no mistake, you belong to Christ Jesus, you will face difficulties and struggles and trials in your life. As it turns out, you may not know this yet, you're not in heaven yet. I know. Escondido's pretty nice. But we're not there yet. We have not yet arrived at the resurrection of the dead. And so on the way towards that resurrection, which is promised to us by Christ, so we know it's true, we're going to face trials. So this is what Paul says today. Not that I have already obtained all of this, that is the resurrection of the dead, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God and Christ Jesus. I have the prize waiting for me, Paul says, and I'm pressing on. I won't let anything stop me from arriving at that place. I love the language Paul uses here, and if you're familiar with, with Luther's small catechism, if you're not familiar with Luther's small catechism, you should pick that thing up. It's pretty good. Uh, but in our catechism that we teach our confirmation students, and we really should be studying all our lives, we hear Luther echo uh, Paul here when he talks about how Christ has made us his own and saved us unto this resurrection of the dead. We're reminded there that we are not saved by our own work, but we are saved solely by the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Luther writes that I might be his own, 
and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he is risen from the dead and lives and reigns to all eternity. That's where we're headed. That's where we're going. That is what is promised to us. As Paul writes, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subdue all things to himself. We await the resurrection of the dead. Just as Jesus is risen from the dead, so you you too will rise to be like Jesus just as he is. That's why we're singing Easter hymns today in church, because we look forward to that resurrection. But again, we're not there yet. It is true that we already have the promise of the resurrection, but we have not yet experienced it fully and completely. So much like Christian in Bunyan's story, we need help along the way. So Paul says, today I want to give myself to you as an example of how you are to persevere, how you are to endure the position you should take as you await the arrival of Jesus Christ. He says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now at first, that sounds a little arrogant. I mean, Paul coming along saying, well, if you want to know how to live the Christian life, I'm your guy. But I don't think that's actually what he's saying. I think what Paul is doing is what anybody who has been through suffering or trial or difficulty or temptation in their faith. He's doing exactly what anybody in his position would do. He's coming alongside his brothers and sisters to say, listen, I got through it too. I've been there, I know what you're facing, and I know how to endure because I'm still standing firm in my faith. Let me help you, let me support you. This is what those who are older and more mature in the faith are called to do for the younger Christians, the the newer Christians to come alongside of them to remind them that you are going to face trial, you will face temptation. The fact that you still struggle with sin is not a sign that you're not saved. It's simply a sign that you're now in this wrestling match with the devil constantly. This is what we are called to do as older brothers and sisters in the faith, to bring support and encouragement to those who are along with us. Paul is simply saying, I've been there, and I know how to endure it. So let me come and let me help you. Let my life be an example for you. Now, this is really helpful, especially when it comes to times of persecution for the church. Um, Paul is, is a marvelous example for us. He knows how to endure on this journey. If you read anything about Paul's life in the book of Acts or some other places where he recounts it, he suffers constantly. He's stoned, he's whipped, he's jailed, he's mocked, he's persecuted, he's put on trial, he's rejected by those he used to love or used to love him. He still loves them. But you see, you have all of these difficulties that he faces, and yet Paul perseveres. He stands firm upon the gospel. And the fruit of this is quite remarkable. That as he's in jail, as we've talked about already in this series, many of the jailers, the Philippians, or the, uh, the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, Come to faith. What's more, those who are in the church in Philippi are encouraged by what they see. And this is is what we experience when we have saints who have been through difficult times and when we see them facing these things head on and, and standing firm in the faith, it does encourage us. It does empower us a little bit to go forth and do similar things. Now here's the thing. You and I, we're not in heaven yet, but you know what else? 
you're not in jail either for your faith. That day may come for our country. I, I don't know. But it's not there right now. But my guess is that you are facing trials of other kinds. That you're facing difficulties in your life that aren't persecution for your faith, but you're enduring something that may cause you to question your faith or struggle with God or really go through one of those sort of why God kind of moments. And it's at a time like this that you need a brother or a sister to come alongside of you. You need an example of how to persevere. And I was thinking about that this week, about many of the great people I have known in the church, many of the great saints that I have seen who have endured and persevered in wonderful ways, and what encouragement it's been to me. I think of a guy like our, our friend Doug Alverson, who, who has gone to rest with the Lord. If you knew Doug, Doug was a guy who faced cancer, I think, five times total in his life. Five really difficult bouts with cancer. And if you knew Doug, you knew that this thing never got him down. He didn't have a cynical bone in his body. He would face that thing head on, and all it did for him was give him, give him an opportunity to talk about God's faithfulness and to encourage others. And so what I, know, I know one of the things Doug would do, and he wouldn't tell you this because he's a humble guy, uh, but Doug used to call other people in our church who were facing cancer, and he would call to encourage them, to pray with them, to point them back to Jesus in the midst of their trial. He knew what cancer did to faith, and he knew exactly how to speak into it. So he would walk into those situations to help people, to support them, to love them. We need people like that around Sometimes these sorts of things get closer to home. I remember uh, at my previous congregation, you've, you've perhaps heard me tell stories of a guy named Abner, Abner Amundsen. Abner Amundsen was, um, he was a, this enormous Norwegian man from like northern Minnesota, uh, I think he was nine feet tall. I don't know if that's exactly right. Uh, but Abner was just a bear of a man. And he just, I just love that guy. But I remember his wife got Alzheimer's, and it just wrecked her mind and, and her body. And so uh, Abner could have been one of these guys who started to feel bad for him, to feel bad for his wife. He could have cursed God and asked, why her? And why did God let this happen? And he could have been very bitter and angry about it. And perhaps there were times where he was. But Abner also made sure that the pastor was there to administer the sacrament to his wife while she would still take it. He made sure that she heard the Bible in her ears when he would read it to her. He made sure prayers were said with her and for her. She may not have understood, but God did, and Abner knew it. And the fruit of this was that when she was in her last hours, I was able to be there with the family. And she who couldn't recognize her own husband's face or couldn't remember her own kids' names was still able to say the Lord's Prayer with us word for word because Jesus had her heart. And Abner would not let her forget it. He wouldn't let God forget it either. Or I think of someone else in our own congregation in our own midst, like Sarah Hume. Sarah, who's, who's over in Taiwan, as you know, serving as a missionary at a school for, for children over there. And one of the things that's been of great encouragement to me is Sarah's newsletters. I don't know if you guys get these things, but they're, they're really wonderful and very encouraging. Uh, and I was reading the, the latest one where she was talking about how uh, they had a hard time getting the kids back into school because of like, the terrible weather that they had over in Taiwan. There was a typhoon that wrecked a bunch of stuff, as typhoons do. And she, she was unable to be with the kids. So the teachers finally got everything together. They finally got the kids back. Everyone's excited to be back in school. And then, of course, what happens? 
a 5.5 level earthquake, which she says, not that big of a deal in Taiwan. All right. So a 5.5 earthquake hits, and it just kind of messes everything up. And now she could just say, this is pointless, this is frustrating. She, she could grumble and complain about this. But instead, what Sarah did, very much like St. Paul, was she decided to use this as an opportunity to teach the students how to pray, point them back to Jesus. And she says this in her letter, which I just loved, in life we never really know what is coming next. But it's amid these surprises that God gives us so many opportunities to witness. I need someone like that as an example for me in the faith. I am, by nature, a very cynical person, and I tend to see the negative before I see the positive. So I need people like Sarah speaking into my ears and into my life so I can remember that we can use all such things, just as Paul would say, for the glory of Jesus Christ by pointing people to the gospel of a God who loves us and saves us no matter what circumstances we might be facing. It gives me great joy and encouragement and inspires me to look for opportunities to speak of Christ as well. See, we have all of these wonderful examples in the faith these, these friends in Christ, these brothers and sisters who come alongside of us in the midst of our struggles and our trials and our difficulties in this world to point us always back to the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, who sits in prison, never sees his uh, circumstances as a reason to give up or despair. He recognizes that these things exist only to drive him closer to Jesus Christ only to give him more opportunities to preach the gospel into other people's ears. And my guess is that you are facing all kinds of trials in your life, and you need someone like a St. Paul who's not going to let anything stop him from telling you of Christ. You need someone like Doug Alverson who can come alongside of you and say, I've been there before, and, it's, and, and I know the hope that still clings to you. You need someone like Abner Amundsen who's going to come alongside of you and put Jesus Christ in your ears no matter what's going on in your life. You need someone like Sarah who can look at the trials and the difficulties in the world all around us and say, yet there is still hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need people like this to show us how to suffer faithfully, how to endure faithfully, how to cling to Christ, and more importantly, how Christ clings to us when we just simply can't seem to hold on. But the good news for you today is that you do not need to go searching for such people. Much like Christian and Pilgrim's Progress, God has sent them here to you already. If you look around you in the church this morning, you can look in this sanctuary and you can see people sitting here who are here for you. God has given them to you as a support system, as an encouragement, sometimes even as an example of how to endure. You have people here to help. See, this is the reality. You have these people. See, let me tell you, let me tell you what I see this morning. I look out here on the congregation, and here's what I see. I see a bunch of people who are dearly loved by Jesus Christ. I see an entire congregation filled with people who by the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of our Lord Jesus Christ have been made his own. Do you know that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ? I rejoice in knowing that he chose you. I rejoice in knowing that I get to serve here and be your pastor. But what is more, I see people who are persevering, who are enduring in the faith 
And frankly, by no strength of your own, but because Christ Jesus has made you His own. And now you are a people who endure sickness, trial, difficulty, doubt, fear, family members that are leaving the faith, broken homes, a world, all of this in a world filled with things that are sprinting away from Christ as fast as they possibly can. You're facing cancer earlier than anyone should have to. You're facing cancer at all. I see many of you here today who are still coping with the death of someone you love and trying to navigate your way through life. And in all of this, you could simply despair. You could simply turn on the news and try and forget things, but only that would make matters worse, I see. You could give in to temptation. You could give up. But you know God hasn't, and he's brought you here today. And instead of letting you, instead of handing you over to the despair, he surrounded you with saints to help who will come alongside of you as an example and a support system. He has given us to each other and now invites us here today to solidify this, to strengthen this, to strengthen this and to sustain this relationship by uniting us together around a meal where we eat his body and drink his blood and bread and wine, where we are united by the one loaf and the one cup, where we are made again to be his people. And there you will find the God who does not leave you nor forsake you in your troubles, but comes to you with his promises that he not only knows your suffering, he has suffered for you on the cross and died and risen so that you might have eternal life. No, you haven't attained the resurrection of the dead. Not yet. You haven't got to the celestial city yet. But we're not far. And you will arrive, and when you do, you will rejoice with Jesus Christ and all of us. For he has made you his own and prepared a place for you. And there, we who journeyed together will see Jesus again, or again, for the first time, face to face. And join the heavenly chorus as we sing his praises. Until then, you and I together stand firm in the Lord. For he has made us his own. Amen. We pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have surrounded us by such a great cloud of witnesses, those saints who have gone before us and those saints who live among us even now to encourage us on in our faith. Lord, we pray that you would make us to be an encouragement to others, make us bold and confident in sharing our faith, but in all things, keep us faithful to your Son, Jesus Christ, whose promises never fail. It's in his name we pray. Amen.